This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Wonderful. Do you wanna do you wanna do you wanna start the show? Adam, do you wanna start the show? Adam. No. Hey, Adam. Yeah. Adam, do you wanna start the show? Uh Adam. I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't like this beckoning tone that uh you've taken on. <laughs> I'm standing in the doorway. Yeah. With, some, with a lot of cash and I'm going, Adam, come yeah. to be in the show. <laughs> I don't know about that. Hey, welcome to the Great American Scream. My name is Devin Ray. My name is Adam O'Connell. I don't know why it feels like it's been a while since our last episode. It's truly been seven days. Yeah, it's it's been been one extra day than usual. Yeah, since we recorded, I guess. But yes, uh, I was back. It feels like we're coming back from a holiday or something. It's not at all true. We had a regular episode last week and we're about to have a regular episode this week. So happy Tuesday. Totally normal, normal, regular, totally normal. I mean comparable to last week it's it's decidedly no, more normal than last week's episode which I, I i finally got the chance to actually listen to while i was doing laundry today it was pretty unhinged <laughs> last week's episode was a lot editing it was a lot yeah uh, which is not normal for me because normally i just kind of do a passover to see if there <laughs> are any problem points but last week i decided needed a special little touch it was pretty good Uh, But this week, uh, we're back to a more, I mean, we're still talking about business, which is kind of funny. Uh, So um, we have talked on the show about the science of fear before and the science of things that scare you and why we get scared. Uh, And obviously, we talk about haunted attractions all the time, but we haven't really talked about how haunted attractions scare you because one would say there's a simple answer to that question like they're scary they things jump out at you and that's scary um but the haunted attraction industry is very large very complicated and very interesting so i thought that would be a uh very interesting thing to talk about today uh kind of the science behind what makes a haunted attraction what makes the perfect haunted attraction and does the perfect haunted attraction exist of course it yes. doesn't are it's we called qualified? the mummy returns <laughs> <laughs> are we qualified to talk about this also no also uh, no yeah <laughs> but through some comprehensive research that i have done uh we're going to talk about the haunted attractions industry how the industry works and how a haunted attraction works because it is a lot more interesting than you think that it is let's do it um so i i feel like so at some point on the show before we've talked about like where haunted attractions came from or where haunted houses came from i can't pinpoint exactly where but Haunted attractions themselves are a relatively new form of entertainment. They started being associated with Halloween, and Halloween as we know it today culturally didn't really form until about the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, obviously Halloween's existed for longer than that, but what we, how we celebrate Halloween today, what we do for Halloween today, that in America culturally really wasn't a thing until the 1950s. And the haunted attraction industry is also a 
American invention. It's kind of like baseball yeah. and jazz music, where it's one of the cu- few things where you can actually say this started in the United States. Yeah, it's it's that jazz, baseball, and comic books, and those are the only things That's we have. Basically, it. Um, they have some origins and earlier attractions uh, outside of the United States. There were some uh, attractions, leisure activities in 19th century London that were these houses of like illusions and magic that people would walk through, kind of mm-hmm. like. Uh, if you remember all the way back to our Haunted Mansion episode, which I think is the second episode of the whole podcast. Yeah, it's um, gotta be. Uh, we talked about how one of the original pitches for the Haunted ha- the haunted Mansion was this kind of like uh, museum of the weird or illusion house. That's kind <laughs> of what yeah, these- Yeah, and literally Walter's museum of yeah. his cool stuff. <laughs> that That's kind episode. of what these were. Uh, in 1802, uh, the famous Madame Tussaud, who is a real person, it's not just what they call the- uh, weird it's not just my drag name. In tourist cities. Uh, Madame Tussaud created her infamous exhibition of wax figures of decapitated French figures, such as Marie Antoinette, King Louis XVI, Marat, and Robespierre, which is pretty cool of Madame Tussaud, may I say. <laughs> Very powerful of Miss Tussaud. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, all the, I mean, she. this is the kind of stuff she did along with making death masks of those that were executed at the Hell guillotine yeah. and how that became fun wax museum where you take pictures with fake Willem Dafoe or whatever. I don't know exactly how that happened. Yeah, it's a tragic fall, honestly. (laughs) If it was still (laughs) decapitated figures, we'd love that. Well, she named her original exhibition the Chamber of Horrors, which at uh, most Madame Tussauds locations is still a thing. Uh, Their scary sections always still called the Chamber of Horrors, which is cool. Um, Haunted attractions, as we know them today, really started to appear in the 1980s in the United States. Why? It's because in the 70s and 80s, teens started to get rowdy during Halloween time. And like the 60s to the 80s, they're vandalizing, causing mayhem and mischief, drinking, drinking and driving. So we need to do something to keep the teens Exactly. Communities started looking for other ways to keep teens who were too old to trick or treat entertained during the holiday other than vandalization pumpkin smashing drinking and or driving yeah, uh, which if i was in charge i would keep it just like let's give them stuff to vandalize they need to get their druthers sort of out. like a what is it, like a rage room those things are called where oh, you go yeah, in and break uh, stuff yeah uh destruction therapy or whatever yeah whatever those um, people do so the first haunted houses were organized by local communities and charitable organizations they were a very much like homegrown your local maybe you're like your 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 town dentist and a couple other people on the board like put it yeah. up and uh it was for two nights and it was just something to keep the teens off the streets on halloween night and it was also a way to employ all the the extra people that didn't have a job in the halloween season they get to yeah. serve the teens um and also walt disney did have a hand in the iconography of Damn like a it. haunted house uh hey, you. oh <laughs> it's that time of the podcast again we pull back the curtain oh he walter's there get out of here <laughs> he can't give getting away with this um disneyland's haunted mansion opened in 1969 and that kind of uh gave the iconography of like the haunted house the ghost house um and not scary farm for held its first annual event all the way back in 1973 it does make it the oldest uh still running haunted attraction in the united states i believe not scary farm which is pretty Ah. cool it's certainly the longest uh uh theme park one because holly and i didn't start until like 20 years later uh 
And the 80s were very good for haunted attractions as characters from major film franchises like Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Halloween began to appear in attractions. And that is also kind of where... There's two main reasons why horror movies get released when they do. Because if you notice, there are some horror movies that get released like beginning of October, but a lot of them, yeah, yeah, a lot of them get get released a month or so in advance. And there's two big reasons for that: it's Halloween costumes and haunted attractions. They want to release the movie early enough so that people will decide to be it for Halloween, and nothing else good better comes up before Halloween happens. Um, Yeah. And then same thing for haunted attractions. Uh, my siblings and I were we in our little text group chat. We were doing some Halloween Horror Nights thirty one speculation, uh, and we were talking about some movies that could potentially become uh, themes for houses. Uh, but most of those movies for for an event like Halloween Horror Nights, those movies are going to have to come out like in the summer in order for to give them enough yeah. time to make the house, if not earlier. Um, yeah, Avatar 2 is going to have to really get in under the wire to have all those haunted so, attractions ready. So, yeah. Um, so the 80s started to be really good for haunted attractions uh, because of all the film iconography. And so the film industry helped the attraction industry and vice versa. Uh, and the industry itself was kind of upended in 1984. Uh, prior to this, a lot of haunted attractions were very much home haunts run by just kind of like local people, non-business yeah, owners. Together. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 1984, uh, a fire inside the haunted castle at Six Flags Great Adventure in Jackson, New Jersey. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, killed eight teenagers and injured seven more people, shutting down literally hundreds, if not thousands, of, of home haunted attractions uh, as uh, new industry standards started to be established for fire and safety and other regulations. And because of all the new regulations, a lot of people could no longer afford to run haunts in their home because they couldn't afford a sprinkler system to Damn install it. in their garage or whatever. Um, so by oh, the early big 90s... brother coming in, shutting down all these haunted hay rides. Big, I think big haunted house. Big haunted house comes in. I don't think that's fair because... I don't think this is the fault of the haunted attraction. I think this is the fault of New Jersey as an institution. And I think we just need to get rid of it. Because, yeah. you know, that fire action park was still around at this time. I think we need to get rid of it. Um, we we can't do an episode on action park because it really has, it has nothing to do nothing with anything do with we talk podcast. about. But if anyone ever wants to just DM me and talk about action park, I will gladly talk about it with you. Or if you want me to call my dad on podcast right now which is my or dad's my mom thing ever yeah my dad loved action park my my mom and my uncle have both the same injuries at action park it's Love a that. northeast institution anyway it's not what we're talking about um but and so it's back by- today actually it is what we're talking about today yeah because it is back it's been around it's it called mountain creek and i've talked yeah. about this because mountain creek was a childhood go-to for me for snowboarding yeah. and water parking it's but just it- action park if they read they did they're doing it again they read yeah. it again yeah. Oh, anyway, we have to move um, on. So by the early 90s, the private sector began creating for-profit haunted houses, so haunted houses that were businesses. Uh, and that is Boo. where most of the industry is today. Unless you go we to like a profit home, incentive. <laughs> unless you go to like a home haunt on Halloween night, most of the haunted attractions you will go to are for-profit businesses uh, that run for extended periods of time. Uh, and, you know, pros and cons to that, A, it's a for-profit business, so blah, Yeah, you blah, know, blah, there's blah, no but, ethical consumption under capitalism. We but have also, make- it does give it a nice budget and all the people that work there are paid so yeah ups true. And downs. they're probably not unionized but you know but yeah um so uh the, let's talk a little bit more about the the haunted attractions industry and why it is so profitable 
Uh, so Halloween is the second biggest holiday industry in the United States behind Christmas. Uh, I was going to go Labor Day. <laughs> yeah, That's Americans. Fair. The only thing Americans spend more money on holiday wise than Halloween is Christmas stuff. Uh, and the haunted attractions industry actually accounts for a pretty small portion of what's spent on Halloween. Most of it goes that to decoration, sense. candy and costumes. Yeah. Um but uh, in 2016, Haunt World estimated there were about 1,200 commercial haunted attractions, 3,000 charitable ones, and 300 amusement park haunts in the United States. Uh, and that's good work for Haunt World to do, because the week before Haunt World published that, they were doing stuff on the uh, election and different constituencies. <laughs> so I'm glad that they kind of skewed back to what yeah, they really got into the game for. I guess, yeah. Um, and the amount of guests that a haunt sees can depend on the size, location, and how long the haunt runs. A small haunt can expect to bring at, uh, bring in around 10,000 to 20,000 guests per season, while mega haunts like Halloween Horror Nights can be expected to that attendance a night, sometimes exceeding the amount of people that were there during the day, which when I think we went to Halloween Horror Nights, that was correct. There were way more people at Halloween yeah. Horror Nights than were actually at the park during the day. Yeah, literally, and that was during a... Uh, oh my god are we about to be out of a pandemic or are we still in it moment of life so that yeah it's like yeah um so uh those mega attractions like holly and horror nights not like not scary farm uh really only make up for about one to four percent of the industry but can gross a quarter of a quarter of a billion dollars by themselves uh there is a uh, a combined uh so there's yeah. a lot of uh money to be made in those mega haunts. Other than that, uh, most of the stuff that I've been reading about like owning and operating a haunted attraction is you're not going to make a ton of money doing this. You will make money if it's good, but you are not going to make a ton of money. You do it for the game. You do it for the love of the game, so this, not for the... This isn't our this isn't our exit strategy, this one. No. Okay. I think it's the next logical step after... I think what it is, is it's the, the October seasonal event at Freddy Fazbear's Mega Pizza Plex or whatever we're going to... Okay, okay, uh, rename yeah. this establishment. Yeah, we definitely need to be thinking of events. It's an because, a, it's an after hours event. Pizza yeah, Plex we, closes at 8.30 and then from 8.30 to like 1 a.m. is the, the haunted attraction. Yeah, and I think that one goes over better. You know, again, we can't really do an after dark Christmas event with Freddie no. and his friends. I think that Halloween is the one time a year we're going to be able to do that. Yeah, we got to market to the like like Michael Eisner. We have to market to the teens, to the teens, the Videopolis teens <laughs> the of the eighties and nineties. I think maybe the other time of year is kind of that June graduation time where we can do oh kind of like a grad, grad night situation. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, we'll do a part two to that episode with more of our business plans later. Anyway, um, so uh, and the uh, as for the cost of what it. Uh, like to get into haunted attractions, depending on the size and location of the attraction, $20 is like a good baseline for haunted attractions. Like back in the day, it cost you like a nickel, a, yeah, a, a buffalo dollar to get into a haunted attraction or a whatever. Buffalo dollar. <laughs> um, and then, uh, with more major attractions nowadays hovering around 50, uh, peak nights at major haunts like Knott's and Halloween Horror Nights can reach up to a hundred dollars a night. Absolutely uh, insane. I can't believe we paid that much money. <laughs> we did get a discount though. Yes, we did. Um, so um, 
as far as the cost of running a haunt, what it costs to create your own haunt if you're interested. Uh, haunted houses are very expensive to construct between decorating, operating costs, and following safety codes. Uh, in addition to just renting the raw space by itself, uh, one haunt owner that I read about recommends budgeting about $15 to $25 for decorations and special effects per square foot of your attraction, while others recommend $25 to $35, depending on what your budget is. So for like That's a five- much. For like a 5,000 square foot warehouse, which is maybe average size, a little on the bigger side for haunted attraction, that's anywhere from $75,000 to $125,000 or much more, depending on your budget, just for decorations and effects alone. So so that that means we need to make sure that we're lobbying Congress for, for a lower <laughs> minimum wage so we don't have to pay these teams jack squat. Yeah. Um, it's also reported that most haunted attractions spend about two to three dollars per capita on advertising. So I was curious about this. Let's say take a big like a big, big haunt like Halloween Horror Nights because big numbers are fun. Uh, yes. Let's call it 20,000 people a night at 26 nights. Uh, that's about just over half a million guests per season, give or take. Uh, you know, some of the bigger nights might go up to 30,000, slower nights, maybe 10,000, whatever. We're hovering around half a million guests. If we assume Universal is spending on the higher end for advertising, and we know that they are because we've seen all those billboards on I-4 and those very scary TV commercials, uh, yes. we multiply that by three, and we've got $1.56 million on advertising alone. And to be honest, they are probably spending much more on that. Yeah, so. that seems like a low, low ball. Estimate. Yeah. Um, and the budget for Halloween Horror Nights itself is probably several million, much more expensive than your average haunt. But that's obvious as it's one of the biggest events in the world. Um, yeah. My secret dream is to open like a Halloween Horror Nights-esque attraction in Central Park in New York City. So I need oh, to start yeah. knowing these numbers. Uh, <laughs> I never going to happen. Never. Maybe in Adams, ne Manhattan. Maybe never, in Eric Adams, Manhattan it can ever. happen. But not at least not in de Blasio's. No. Uh, I have all sorts of pitches for it. Ask it about me sometime. Uh, ask me about it sometime. Anyway, um, one of the other big spending points for haunted attractions is uh, is safety and safety regulations. Obviously, safety is a huge concern for haunted attractions as they can they can perpetuate an unsafe environment. Obviously, all people that work at and go to haunted houses are just normal people, but there's a big combination well, of <laughs> our normal, okay. our normal. Yeah, sure. Let's take that as an assumption. Uh, uh, a violent theme plus loud music plus darkness plus sometimes drinking plus people getting scared plus tight spaces plus special effects can You're lead get, to yeah. yeah. Uh, plus haunted attractions are all about the safe illusion of danger and even extreme haunts. You don't want to worry about actual danger, of right, course. Unless you're Russ McCamey. Yeah, uh, which I I tried not to think about during this outline. We can't. But <laughs> I can't. Um. And this goes for both things like fire safety as well as safety and regulation for actors and employees because it's not just about protecting guests. Uh, we're going to talk about yeah. that a little bit later, but scare acting is a very dangerous job. Uh, yeah. So in 1988, following the Six Flags fire, there were new codes adopted for haunted attraction safety, which required automatic sprinkler systems, smoke detectors, and clearly marked emergency exits, which, by the way, prior to 1988, not required for haunted attractions. Why would they be... <laughs> <laughs> no emergency exits, no smoke detectors, no automated sprinkler systems. Well, you have to imagine Congress wasn't thinking, we need to make sure we put in all the, we got to think about the haunted houses. Congressmen yeah. didn't know what haunted houses were. Yeah. 
Um, nowadays, haunted attractions are also required to have an emergency voice communication system. Uh, now that the tech is there. Ah. Uh, and there are some variations state by state. For example, in Illinois, all haunted attractions must be inspected by a fire marshal. Both. Okay, this is this is one that made me laugh. The fire marshal both needs to go through it kind of like during the day with no special effects. And then he yes. also needs to go through it <laughs> as an attraction to test it both I times. I love that. That that was that part of the law was put into place by a very excited fire marshal yeah. who just really loves the spook. He must a fire marshal must be able to go through attraction both during day and during operating hours. It also must, must get for coupon, for one, <laughs> coupon for he one coupon for one free able to ice bring cream. His kid. He might. <laughs> he must also be able to put on his favorite mask at the yeah. end. Good for these fire marshals. Good for these Illinois fire marshals. Um. Also, so anything that looks like it could pose a real danger to guests in a haunted attraction is probably fake. And if it's real, it's handled by a professional and far away from guests at all time. Because uh, if haunted attractions are good at what they do, um, then you are going to, at some points, feel the illusion of being unsafe. And you're going right. to look at things and go, that looks real. That looks like a dangerous real thing. One of the biggest examples of this is chainsaws in haunted attractions. Uh, most... Professional haunts will not just throw any old actor or chainsaw because at most professional haunts you go to, the chainsaws that are being used are real chainsaws. They do not use prop chainsaws. Right. They are real chainsaws, but they don't have the blade on them. That's what makes them safe to operate in the house. They just yeah. make a loud, scary noise. And that's what people are afraid of with chainsaws. They're afraid of the loud, scary noise. I would argue they're afraid of a very sharp blade going into their soft flesh body. But Okay, that- yeah. It but is an envelope violation. Scare, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 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 thing that triggers that fear is the sound of the chainsaw. Yes. Um, so at Halloween Horror Nights, chainsaw performers are required to go through several screenings, mostly physical, testing how much they can lift over their heads and how many push-ups they can do and stuff like that. This <laughs> That part's just for fun. That part's just a competition <laughs> and they put it up on the chalkboard. Um, this ensures both guest safety and performer safety as injuries are very common amongst haunted house performers. It also guarantees that they're all yoked. Yeah. So every chainsaw, every person you see at a haunted house that is operating a chainsaw is either yoked or like somehow is are not authorized to be operating that chainsaw. <laughs> there are two, there are two kinds of scare house scare actors. Mm-hmm. There are those that are yoked and those that cannot operate chainsaws. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of injuries, they are the most common safety hazard at haunted attractions for both performers and guests. Uh, Common injuries in haunted houses include slips and falls, carbon monoxide and smoke, exposed protrusions, which is like hitting your head on props, exposed nails, stuff like that, and like just general freak accidents. Um, That's interesting. Those are also all uh, hazards if you go to the experimental theater wing at at New York (laughs) University. That's an interesting kind of crossover. Um, also one of the biggest hazards is what's kind of colloquially referred to as too scary reactions. Um, too scary. So like that, this is the reason why people with heart conditions, epilepsy, pregnant people or other conditions are advised not to experience some attractions because heart attacks in haunted houses are not common, but they have happened before. Uh, in 2017, a 50 year old man died of cardiac arrest in a Georgia haunted attraction. And that is not the only case of it. Um, and the thing is like. Uh, they put the disclaimer there because it's not like, oh, uh, I would not have had the heart attack if I had not entered the haunted house. It's more that like my condition was aggravated by right. uh, the haunted attraction. 
um, which is like the weird legal footing that it kind of stands on. Uh, but uh, two scary reactions also include the activation of uh, the fight or flight response in patrons, which is why scare acting is a very high risk job. And most scare actors that I know and that I have talked to will tell you that they have, I right. uh, have either been hit or uh, at least swung at by a guest. Uh, most of them I know yeah. have been hit before. Um, and a lot of these, reactions like believing in the good faith of humanity a lot of these reactions are accidental some people of course they are just flail or instinctively try and push something away from them and hit a scare actor but not always there are assholes who try and be tough or whatever think it's appropriate to hit scare actors when you pay to get into the house chad yeah even though all it does is is reinforce the fact that you were actually scared yeah this thing actually did work on you, you yeah. little you little bitch. <laughs> you uh, were scared enough to hit a person. Yeah, and it still puts the performer in danger no matter what. So scare training, like the scare actor training, has kind of changed to adapt this. Most scare actors are now trained to uh, disappear as quickly as they popped out in order to get out of the guest's way. Uh, mm. This not only serves as like, you know... If you look at a zombie that just popped out at you for more than five seconds, it becomes very apparent that this is a man in a costume. Uh, right. So it's not only an advantage from the scare yeah, standpoint, but it gets yeah the actor out of the way. Uh, and the obvious answer would be to not get close enough to hit. But unfortunately, that's not an option in a lot of haunts. Uh, a lot of haunts are teeny tiny or have very narrow hallways because they're so scary. I know in most haunts I've been in, actors get pretty up close and personal with with my face and my general body area. Never touch, yeah. but they are oh, very good at touch. getting very close and then backing up. Um, and uh, in fact, one of the most common injuries at haunted houses is bloody noses, not from hitting, but from accidentally bumping into the guy behind or in front of you after getting of scared. Of course. Which is interesting. Um, I know because uh, in Haunts Like Halloween Horror Nights where you kind of enter in like the fear conga line, uh, mm -hmm. if the person in front of you stops, it does kind of create a, a traffic problem. And if you, you'll try and move because something scares you, but you can't because the person in front of you is also not moving. That's uh, happened to me plenty of times before. It's happened to us all. We... <laughs> Adam, you and I were part of the, the scare conga line yeah. at Halloween Horror Nights 40. I have sustained injuries in haunted houses. I pulled my shoulder in, uh, uh, I think it was yes, Wicked Growth. I think it was Wicked Growth Realm of the Pumpkin that I pulled my shoulder in. Uh, uh, so uh, when safety is not handled properly in haunted attractions, it can lead to lawsuits. And there have been plenty of lawsuits regarding haunted attractions. I would like to take a brief lawsuit detour uh, because some of these are very interesting right. and also point to a pretty big thing about the haunted attractions industry. Uh, so starting in 1996, it, and by the way, in all of these uh, lawsuits I'm about to talk about, all of the people who were injured are totally fine. Uh, so, okay. uh, they are good. It is okay to chuckle if some of them are a little silly. Uh, okay, good. Good, so, good. yeah, yeah. So in 1996, uh, in Mays versus Gretna Athletic Boosters, Inc., a Louisiana appeals court had before it a 10 year old girl who was frightened when a character at a haunted house jumped out at her. She ran directly into a cinder block wall covered with plastic sheeting. Uh, oh which God. is very unfortunate. Uh, the court rejected the plaintiff's argument that covering a black wall, a brick wall with black visqueen uh, in a dark haunted house is an unreasonably dangerous condition. Um, so in also in this and none of the ones I'm about to talk about, 
uh, all the ones I'm about to talk about, the court sides of the haunted house. And in this one, they said, quote, the nature of a haunted, attra- a haunted house is to frighten its patrons. In order to get the proper effect, haunted houses are dark and contain scary and or shocking exhibits. Patrons in a Halloween haunted house are expected to be surprised, startled, and scared by the exhibits, but the operator does not have a duty to guard against patrons reacting in bizarre, frightened, and unpredictable ways. Operators are on du- Operators are duty-bound to protect patrons only from unreasonably dangerous conditions, not from every conceivable danger. That tracks. That's, and that's hey, yeah. whoever wrote this decision, well put. That's effectively what all of these ended up as. Uh, and again, in 1973, in uh, <laughs> I know this woman's last name is probably not pronounced Bonanno, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I no, cannot think of another way to pronounce it. It's Bonanno. Bonanno. But I love that you went minions with it. Yeah. I really like that angle. I'm gonna, but I'll say Banano. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, woman who was 84 in 1973. So you are probably no longer. You with are us. definitely dead. Uh, so in Banano versus Continental Casualty Co. It involved an 84 year old woman who, while in the quote devil's den of a haunted attraction, where a person disguised as the devil was mechanically projected into the room on an overhead track, uh, the yes. Louisiana Appeals Court declared the visitor assumed the risk of being frightened jostled and pushed about when she entered the attraction she complained that it caused her to fall and be jostled about um, we have to change the disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast to say that you by listening assume the risk of being frightened jostled and pushed, pushed about. about yeah um Quote, uh, this is also Louisiana Appeals Court, who said, quote, she obviously had knowledge she could anticipate being confronted by exhibits designed to startle and instill fear. She had to realize that the very nature of the attraction was to cause patrons to react in bizarre, frightened, and unpredictable ways. It would be inconsistent, the court decided, to, quote, allow the plaintiff to recover for damages, which resulted from her being frightened. Uh, Precisely the effect of the haunted house was calculated to produce. I'm so sorry, Mrs. Bonanno, is it? You, I, I, I don't know how to tell you that you paid to, to go, go into scared. a place where you would get jostled and spooked and 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 pushed about. Yeah, and, like, and you <laughs> cannot come to court today uh, and ask the state of Louisiana to intervene and say that in fact you were jostled and pushed about, and that is wrong when that is exactly the service you paid for. Yeah. Um, and this is a thing too that we see this. We don't see this like injury stuff so much as in 2021 and 2022, which is the year we're in now. Whoopsie. Um, what we see nowadays is uh, kind of people people who bring their young children to haunted houses and then ask for refunds because their children were too scared. Yeah, which is silly in my opinion. Where do you draw the line, lady? Yeah. Uh, so in 1997, in uh, Galan versus Covenant House, New Orleans, uh, the appeals court addressed and or New Orleans, excuse me, the appeals court a lot addressed of Louisiana. In, yeah, it all goes down in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> um, the appeals court addressed an injury to a haunted house patron that occurred after her visit was thought to be over. Now this one's interesting. This opened up a new precedent. There's actually two lawsuits about this. I'll talk about the second one in a moment. Um, where. It, the the question was raised over whether or not scares should be allowed after the perceived end of the haunted house. Um, okay. So 
uh, the this woman exited the haunted house and was thanked for coming. After which, a woman was she was injured when uh, Jason, for he's the Friday the Thirteenth character who is hiding behind a visqueen covered fence, I started up a chainsaw for the purpose of frightening the visitors one last time. Uh, so she complains. Love- she went, "Listen, the haunted house was over. You should not be allowed to scare me anymore." Right, but what one thing they didn't think of is the fact that this wasn't a scare actor portraying Jason. This was, <laughs> this was Jason, Jason. <laughs> from Friday the 13th. You can't sue Jason. So, I mean, you can, but it's never been done. But you can't sue Jason for hurting you. That's kind of his whole thing. The, but also, <laughs> ma'am, you bring this. I am so thankful that you, you bring this to us. But the problem is the precedent we would have to set is that we would have to put a big blinking sign in neon lights. <laughs> end saying, of this is the house. end of the attraction. <laughs> so uh, it, it, the, the, the court said about this, quote, it appears to be uh, plaintiff's contention that this last exhibit, because it was unexpected, created an unreasonable risk of harm. The fact that the plaintiff did not expect this last exhibit does not mandate <laughs> the exhibit is unreasonable. <laughs> Just because this lady didn't have the breadth of imagination to think of, we're going to throw another spook in there right after the end, does not mean that the creators of said spook were in the wrong. Listen, I I have to tell you, this has happened to me in like six or seven haunted houses. It scares me every single time. I fall for it every time. I see the outside. I see those trees. And I go, surely this must be the end of the haunted house. And this is why you're (laughs) suing for damages. (laughs) That or the pre, because I still remember uh, to this day, the first, the biggest scare that I got when we were at Halloween Horror Nights is when we were going into the the scary horror in the Heartland house. And before we actually entered the haunted house, there was that wall and Meaty Meats popped up and got us real good. He got us really, really good. There was was a similar thing at the end of one of the others. It might have been scary, Ohio. I think it was also Uh, scary. Yeah. Yeah. When the man with the chainsaw was right at the door, like right under the exit. He side was lit just, by daylight, folks. Like he, he was, was that close. We could see him holding a chainsaw and it did not stop us from getting spooked. Yeah. And this is why I've brought this case before the court today. <laughs> if we see exhibit A and it's a it's a picture of me, my pants, which have been peed. So, <laughs> so this this uh trick in haunted houses is known as the quote carry effect um named after the move the movie carrie because at the end of carrie spoiler alert um you think it, the film is over that carrie is dead there is no more scares and then when her friend is going to place her flowers on her grave carrie's hand pops out for one last scare um and we see this in horror movies all the time now and it's called the carrie effect when you use it in a haunted house um and so this was finally kind of cemented, put to bed in 2015 uh, with Griffin v. The Haunted Hotel. Recently uh, settled yeah. law. <laughs> um, where the plaintiff was injured while running away and being chased uh, from the, oh a final God. scare on the way out of an attraction. And this was California. The California Appeals Court said, quote, being chased within the physical confines of the haunted trail, this is a haunted trail, as you are on their property by a chainsaw-carrying maniac is a fundamental part and inherent risk of this amusement. <laughs> the injured person voluntarily paid money to experience it that's exactly what i said the phrase being chased within the physical confines of the haunted trail by a chainsaw carrying maniac is a fundamental part of this amusement yeah it's so good yeah and in fact it's a selling point yeah. <laughs> you would say like listen if as long as you are on the haunted attractions property you are game to get scared if you started driving home and he popped out of your trunk then you got a case 
Yeah, if you arrived to work on Monday yeah. morning and you sat down at the desk of the orthodontist as the reception and in walked Jason with a big chainsaw and he sawed your desk in half, that would be unconscionable. Sort of sort of like an end of sister location, FNAF sister location kind of situation where if you it's are exactly in front of like your FNAF sister location. Yeah, if you are in front of your TV with your popcorn watching your vampire soap opera or whatever and your exotic and butters then, on top of the television and then the animatronic crawls in, then you have reason to sue but not yes. while you were then in the establishment can... yes michael afton anyway um so in general these lawsuits set a precedent for the haunted attractions industry that you, getting what you paid for is not assault nor is it negligence uh love that which in general allows haunts to get more and more extreme without facing any legal repercussion because as long as a nobody's put in any real or negligent danger and b uh, you are still on the property of the haunted attraction. The person has paid to get in, therefore agreeing to uh, be subject to these horrors. You're good. You're good, gang. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that the the assumed level of risk is, does not rise to physical harm like that. Right. Like they said, you're you can't be protected from. Uh, you you must be protected from obvious uh, forms of physical risk, but you yeah. cannot be protected from. What will happen if you freak out in a way that we could not have anticipated? Yeah, exactly. Um, so finally, I want to talk about a couple of other uh, mechanics of a haunted house and some tricks that haunted houses use uh, to scare you that you might not notice. Um, because what I think is so interesting is that haunted houses are really good at scaring you and really good at keeping you moving through the haunted house. Like there are a lot of people yeah. that say, I want out right now. Where is the nearest exit? But most people, even when they want out of the haunted house, will continue moving forward, uh, which yeah. is very interesting. So I wondered how they do it. This also contains some tips on how not to get scared in a haunted house if you are being dragged along by your uh, your podcast co-host who really likes haunted houses, mm -hmm. even though you don't. Um, That's interesting. <laughs> So um, one of the biggest factors affecting how a haunted house is laid out and designed is what's called throughput. Uh, this is essentially a productivity standard or how many people a haunted house can get through in a certain amount of time. Uh, and you want to calculate that number based on how much money you want to make a night and blah, 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 blah. So for instance, to get 500 people through an attraction in a single night, one haunt owner could calculate that groups of six entering the haunt every 25 seconds would meet this goal. Um, so you want to have an attendant at the front of the house waiting 25 seconds in between parties, sending in the next group. Um, and not calculating this number correctly can do a couple things. It can slow down your lines. It can rush people through the house on the other end, or it can break what's considered one of the cardinal rules of haunted attractions, which is you should never run into the group that went in before you. A big exception to this rule is huge theme park haunts or other ginormous haunted attractions. Haunts that are yeah. seeing thousands of guests a night cannot afford to space out those entries for reason other than fire codes and maximum occupancy of the house, which is one of the only reasons if you go to like Not Scary Farm or Halloween Horror Nights that they pause the line is just to make sure there's not an excessive number in the number of people in the building. Yeah. If you go somewhere like that on a busy night, not only will you wait on average like 20 to 30 minutes to get into a house, depending on how busy the night is, uh, you'll enter in that kind of fear conga line, sometimes single file. Um, and the only other reason for pauses is when they're like switching out the cast. Other than that, they're really trying to get as many people through as possible. They really could not care if you run into the person in front of you. On a slow night, then yeah, they'll space yeah. it out. But 
Yeah, hey, listen, they already know that if you get a nosebleed, they are not legally liable. Yeah, so, so go, go ahead. Um, however, also, you don't want to rush people through a haunt. Even if you want to get people through, you want them to get scared and enjoy themselves. Uh, so this is where the concept of scaring forward comes in, which I really like the phrasing Love of. that. <laughs> so scaring forward is how most scares in a haunted attraction are designed. You want people to get scared and keep moving, not stop for more than a second or back up. This is why A, uh... You should, scares uh, should never block the path of the group. Nothing should ever jump out into your walkway that's going to stop right. the, the group and stop people from yeah. moving. If there's any kind of entrance into the thoroughfare, it must be behind entered guests so that they are pushed forward. Yeah, and that's the thing too, is that um, people, I when I go through haunted houses with people and some people are afraid to go through doorways because they're afraid something's going to pop out of them in the doorway. Something's never going to pop out of you, pop out at you in the doorway. It's going to be at the window next to the doorway, but not in the doorway. You're safe in doorways. Yeah. Um, yeah, you- <laughs> <laughs> like an earthquake, you are safe in doorways. Much like an earthquake, you are safe in door frames and bathtubs. Yeah. So, uh, here's the pro tip. If you don't want to be, if you're going into a haunted house with a group of three, four, five, six people, and you do not want to be the recipient, the main recipient of the scare, walk mm. towards the front of the group. I know it is intimidating, but, uh, in order to keep scaring forward, it is common practice to scare the side or the back of the group. So the group continues moving. Cause if you scare the first person in the group, they're going to stop and the rest of the group's going to stop behind them. If you scare yeah. the person in the side or the back, it's going to push the group forward. I think that's really smart. Yeah. Um, and also walking in the middle of a group while often feeling rather safe to have like beloved friends flanking you on both sides often does yeah. put a target on your back as the most scared one of your group. <clears throat> so if you don't want to be the one receiving the scares, walk in the front of the group. Um, and also a reminder that on average, an average sized haunted house will take anywhere between three and 10 minutes to walk through, depending on the size of the haunt, the haunt, very large haunts and extreme, the haunt, the yeah. <laughs> Very large haunts and extreme haunts, though, can take 30 minutes to an hour to walk through. The the 13th nah. the 13th gate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, takes about 45 minutes to walk through, depending on the day. No, no, actually. That's crazy. Uh-uh. That's that's a that's one episode of prestige television. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um. Therefore, before you go to a haunt, know approximately how long. Uh, it's going to how long a walkthrough takes so that you can like prepare yourself. Uh, don't go to a haunted house expecting it to be a five minute walkthrough and end up in there for 20 minutes. Um, so actors hide in what are known as scare pockets or boo holes, depending on the region mm-hmm. of the United States. Sort of yeah, a, you and sort I, of a soda pop situation. Our, yeah. When we do our joint drag show together. Yeah. We're known as scare, scare pocket, pocket and, and boo hole. hole is a good drag name. Boo-hole is scare really pocket good. less good, but boo hole is pretty good. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, as you start to like walk through a haunted house more and go through more haunts, you you can obviously see where the scare pockets, where the boo holes are. They are not really yeah. they they people don't try and hide boo holes. Like there are some good hidden ones, like bringing like a picture frame down or. But most of them are pretty obvious. They're like door frames with curtains on them or just dark holes, dark chasms. Uh, yeah. And 
you don't really need to hide it. Seeing the boo hole does not really prevent you from getting scared. I've been in plenty of haunted attractions where I have looked directly in the boo hole, made eye contact with the scare actor before they popped out, and they popped out and I still got scared anyway. It doesn't really stop you from getting scared. Yeah. Um, if anything, it makes you go, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, here they come. Uh, and they pop out at you, which is fun. Um, and some scare pockets also have multiple places for an actor to pop out of, or you can access both sides of the wall, allowing an actor to get you once around the corner and then the other side as well when you round that corner, uh, which like that's I love when that happens because it's almost shameful. It's like a fool me once. Shame on shame on you. Fool me twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't fool a fool. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, the scare itself, you know, there's all sorts of different methods for scaring people. It is an art form, uh, and making people afraid and making people laugh are two of the hardest things to do creatively. Side note, I think people that are good at one are often good at the other. People that are good at making people laugh are also often good at making people scared and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Bo Burnham, I think is a great example of that. Um, <laughs> sure. But that's a side note. Um, but there are two kind of main avenues nowadays in haunted attractions on how to scare people, uh, either realistic gore or startling them. That's pretty much it. Those are the two. That's kind of it. Like think about the last haunted house that you went through. Can you think of any scare that you had that was not realistic gore or startling, excluding like an extreme haunt? That's pretty much all of them. Yeah. And the fact yeah, of the matter is because it down. Yeah, the fact of the matter is because those are the few things that actually cause an adrenaline rush in people without actually putting them in any real danger. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, obviously uh houses will elevate these scares with loud noises and with lights and stuff, and then haunts will also sometimes disorient you as soon as you get into the house with strobe lights or smoke yeah. or just generally messing you up before you even get through the house. Um Yeah. Like, hey, we all understand there's a lot of frills going on. You're spending $25 to $35 a square foot in this place. But really, all you need to be spending money on is the sprinklers and yeah. the, the well-marked exits. Other than that, it can be cardboard for all I care. Yeah. A little cardboard boo hole and me with my face painted a funny color. And and I just jump out and go, oh, uh, yeah. and that's the entire that's experience. It. Um. And uh, do beware of bait and switches, though, uh, which is very common in haunts, such as a prop or yeah. A this is actually piece. not a haunt. <laughs> this isn't haunt. In advice. general, this is about renting an apartment. Yeah. Uh, be careful. Bait and switch is illegal in the yeah. states of New York and California. So please let uh, the I Better Business Bureau know. I, think. I, <laughs> I know guess. That. I don't know who you report that to, um, but a. Uh, uh, if you are ever in a haunt and you see like a super impressive prop or set piece or lightning or something in front of you, something's about to pop out at you because you're meant to be distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Stop the haunted house and say, this is a lovely bush. Yeah. I like this bush. Good job. Yeah. And, and then start clapping and then the lights will come on yeah. and the actor will come out and bow. Yeah. This is a hack. Few people know about this one. <laughs> Um, but the, as, as a whole, you know, we could talk about the haunted attractions industry and, and, uh, for hours, even without getting that deep into it. But in general, it is an industry that is built upon a kind of shared love that people have of uh, and uh, of not even just scaring people. I think the shared love in most haunted attraction people is that they love getting scared, too. 
Like most yeah. haunted attraction people, I would say their primary love is not scaring people. It's getting scared. And they want to they want to scare they want to scare forward. And that's what I want you to do, dear listener. Ah, scare lovely. forward. Hey, scare it forward. Yeah, that's what I like to say. New sticker. Hey, 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 put that down. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, take what's in your mouth. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the great american scream if you enjoyed please leave a rate and review on itunes or leave a rating on spotify follow us on spotify tell a friend about the show go get that friend that you have you go into their room you knock on their door you say hey i got a good show for you it's called the great american scream that's this show hey adam can you put our social medias please yes you can check us out on facebook at the great american scream or on twitter instagram and now tiktok at great scream pod no no uh, please uh, send us uh, send us your favorite haunted attractions. I want to know more haunted attractions I don't already know about. Your favorite local spot tweeted us. Uh, you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there is something you would like to hear about on the show, tweet at us or make a post because your suggestion may become the topic for a future episode. Yes. Uh, special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo for doing the intro disclaimer, as well as Stevie Viola for doing the intro and outro music. And a super special, magical thank you, a, a, a Disney thank you uh, to our <laughs> patrons on the level of Man in the Fields or higher. Thank you so much to Regina, Ben, Gail, Joyce, Melinda, and Chris. I have been Devin Wright. I've been Adam McConnell. And hopefully you have been spooked. And hopefully you're scaring forward. Scare forward. Scare it forward. Hopefully you are spooked. And even if you have been injured by the spook, cannot come at us in a court of law. Legally. The Louisiana Court of Appeals will strike you down. Because you, you agreed to this. 